Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes. Something for your mind. So, good evening everyone. I hope you're all safe and keeping well. So, my name is Callum Hughes and in this next episode of Creative Minds, I'm joined by a very successful and respected artist manager called Stephen Brains. Stephen has been Maya Jane Coles' manager now for 12 years and has previously managed the likes of Taylor Buzz and Magda. He is the co-founder of He, She, They, an open-minded house and techno ray for everyone, which places an emphasis on the importance of inclusivity rather than exclusivity. He is also the co-founder of The Weird and the Wonderful, an international multifaceted talent consultancy, record label, events curation and management collective alongside the lovely Sophia Kearney. Stephen is also a board member at Music Managers Forum and the Association for Electronic Music. So I'm just going to invite Stephen in now. Hello, mate. Hi. How are you doing? I've, I've got really bad lockdown hair, so I'm wearing a cap. <laughs> I, I look an absolute stick. <laughs> I know you feel, mate. I'm supposed to be getting mine done tomorrow, so I know you, you feel. You look good, man. You're fine. <laughs> At least, to be fair, it's a bit of um, unintentional promo you've got there as well with the he, she, they brand. So. Uh, always, always an accident. <laughs> is my um, camera fuzzy? Or is that just no, no, it's all good, mate. It's not too bad. Cool. It's probably, it probably looks kinder, to be fair. <laughs> now nah, you're still a nine, 9 out of 10, mate, don't worry. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, how, how are you keeping with everything that's gone on this year? Because obviously your normal schedule must be pretty hectic. I suspect it is still now, but there's probably been a big change, hasn't there? Yeah, I mean, like, money-wise, it's horrible, obviously, because, like, the... The, like even with the recorded music we, we still make a lot of music but the biggest point of like monetization is still live for, for electronic artists so that's been not a lot of fun but um and i've got tonsillitis today so straight after this i go with my uh, partner to, to the hospital to pick up a prescription so you've asked us the wrong day how i feel but it's 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 been different in some ways as well because it's just been a a change of pace which has actually been nice because Sophia and I travel a lot around the world with my uh, with the club night so yeah it's it's been quite nice to be in one one place because uh, it's just a shame that everything's closed but I've been in one place yeah I know what you're saying I go on nature walks and shit now that I know <laughs> it's like it's a uh, it's probably turned me into a nicer person yeah I can I can imagine mate I was exactly the same in the first lockdown I was sober for about three months. I was waking up on a Sunday, actually having seven, eight hours sleep, going on a, a run and a bike ride. I thought, fuck me, this is strange compared to normal antics. You're like, who's this? Like, I know. It's just like, like um, where we were in London, because we, we just moved to Stratford in East London. So it's, yeah. it's a little bit outside. We were always in like Hackney in, in probably East London. But there's like proper like wetlands and, I walked uh, 10 miles to Edmund Forest. Now, he said it's 
walk 10 miles to a forest. <laughs> and like, absolutely no way, not even for like a sponsored walk. Yeah. And this was like me getting up and, and going for it. So I think, I think my body's actually probably healthier now than it has been for, for a long time. Just, yeah. just maybe, maybe the bag of calories and as healthy as the body. But. I'm sure a lot of us can say that, to be honest, but it's the return that's going to be interesting because especially you i mean you probably have in normal circumstances no body clock because maya's touring schedule is relentless isn't it so well, well at the moment so at the moment my my personal ones because like so, some of them sophia works on some of them sophia works on different acts as well that i don't work on like because we're we're a collective there's like there's like what is this six seven managers now mm. um so the ones that I directly have a hand in are like uh, Maya Jane Calls, Josie to Louisa, Waxworks, Robert Owens. Um, oh, God. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible. Definitely, definitely somebody else that I've missed. Uh, and Sirena, we just took on, who's, who's amazing. Um, yeah. So, so like, just between them and engineers experiment when, when, they're, when they're active. Um, but, I mean, I've sometimes you get calls where they're all in different countries so you like the A&R guy is in LA asking you something and there's a sink and they want you to, you to speak like instantly they don't really give a fuck that you're having to be in London it's like where LA don't <laughs> but then you've got an artist in Japan who's got a problem then you've got an artist in France so the more international artists you have yeah I mean it's 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 twenty it's truly twenty four seven then, isn't it? Because like you say, the time zone from LA to Japan is different. I can't remember what the time zone difference is because I was speaking to Chris Lorenzo not that long ago when he's from Birmingham and he lives in LA now. And I, I thought before I message him, I need to be careful about what time I message him because otherwise I'm going to fuck him off before I've even spoke to him. It's a it's a funny one. To, general rule of thumb is. Sophia's a morning person and I'm a night person. Mm. So randomly, there's this like halo time where Sophia and I are both awake at the same time. But for the rest of it, she's awake or I'm awake. So like, you've just got this random like 24 hour management hotline that like anyone can bring. Yeah. Which uh, is a bit of a rod for our own back sometimes. But um, yeah, like, like Sophia is my business partner. There's absolutely no way to be able to like, do anything that we did unless like the two of us work together i mean like starting the fashion label the club night as well as the collective it's like yeah it's it's a it's a funny one because i think a lot of times she doesn't get as much credit as she deserves and it's just as much her as it is me yeah i'm just the, la- I'm just the loud one so everyone like it's true i'm just the loud one so everyone's like oh brains but like it's literally we own it we own all the companies 50 50 yeah Super, super mutual. Uh, and she's not listening, but I'm still saying that. <laughs> I'll make sure to forward it on to her afterwards. I'm sure yeah, that'll perk her off. She's amazing. And she's one of my best mates in the world. So it's, it's yeah. a really amazing relationship. Yeah. Now that's, that's wicked. So I think it makes sense to chronologically go right the way back to the start of your career in the music industry. So did you intend to go into artist management or was it a case of just being passionate about electronic or underground music? Did you play your hand at a couple of different roles and then you stumbled onto it by chance or? Do you know what? I always wanted to be an, uh, an A&R guy. 
that was that and like the club thing that was more I remember being like 12 or something and, and being in the back of like class and speaking to my mate and we were like we're gonna own this club it's gonna be called Elements and it's all gonna have like an oxygen room and a hydrogen room we were like literally at 12 we were like making up these plans and now he's a police detective and I, I work with music so we definitely <laughs> went two different ways yeah but, um, like yeah i just i always wanted to do it and the management thing was more that i'd, I'd done loads of different things so i was, was a music journalist um i did like i was a publishing um in our scout yeah I'd, I'd done clubs i'd been a podium dancer i'd done all sorts of like random shit yeah and then the management thing was just like i ended up managing an act that i'd kind of scouted for publishing and then signed into a publishing deal and after that, I was a manager because I guess whatever you're the most successful at, you're that to, to people. So yeah. it's only now really doing the issue there that I'm like, with having a label and having a fashion label and having a club event ourselves as well as management that I feel like totally fulfilled. Mm. Yeah. Um, but so it, it's taken a while to get there. But like, because like, I, I help out on like A&R for, for some acts more than others. So like my... Uh, pretty much everything's delivered and that's just her record she might say like uh who might sound good on this beat or if you've got a contact for here but like it's you know like i'm never ever having to say to maya like make this sound like this or this is in the wrong pitch or like you know what i mean she's just she's 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 like incredible though like she's like a one in a billion artist yeah 100 percent I mean, she was one of the main reasons why I probably started listening to electronic music because it was interesting that you say, that, I'm assuming because of the fact you mentioned you were really young and you were laughing with your mate saying, oh, we're, we're going to own this club and it's going to be called this. Have you always listened to electronic music from quite an early age then? Yeah, because my sister. My sister used to be into, like, naughty rave records and, like, like resurrection and stuff and, like, happy hardcore and... And like she used to play stuff that like, like like more kind of like mainstream, but like edgy stuff like Prodigy and stuff like Outer Space and SL Two on a ragged tip and stuff were all like in my dad's car as well. Yeah. Like, like yeah. So my dad actually really liked electronic music. My mum liked more kind of weird stuff like Kate Bush and stuff. So that's. I've got two different sides that are kind yeah. of based on that. It's so. the same in my family as well. My stepmom's obsessed with Kate Bush. You like the Smiths as well. I hate Morrissey, but I love the music. <laughs> my, yeah, me and my dad are the same. My dad always hated Morrissey. Well, he just he's a massive racist now, which is... Mm. I know. So, in terms of the artist management then, I know you said there was the one initial artist that you signed up for publishing. Um... How did the relationship with Maya come about? So that was a few years in and randomly I was running a club called Future Divas at the Barfly in Camden and it was just about showcasing female talent because even back then, I mean, God, that must have been, yeah, like 12, 13 years ago, there was a big discrepancy in the amount of women that were being platformed who were really good. Yeah. So like, even though he, she, they kind of is about that now, that's just been something I've, I've been doing for like years and years before it was like the kind of desired guys to do it. And um, basically I, I, I had some mailing list 
admires dad um, has a record label called Malicious Damage and like admires dad's amazing he did like uh, releases for the orb and he did all like if killing killing jokes like artwork and he's like he's an amazing guy as well but anyway he messaged Maya and said you should try and get like a gig out of this guy because he's just sent us this spammy mail uh, asking for artists to come play for us um, so then Maya was like fuck it like and and you know she was in a band called She's Danger at the time as well as having our own solo stuff mm. and uh, I, she sent us some demos over they were absolutely amazing yeah I, I, I love that She's Danger project hard and then uh we just spoke on the phone for about 45 minutes about like just everything about hip hop about like trip hop things like Porter's Head about just a whole range of stuff <coughs> and she was just really interesting and yeah. like I started talking which is what I find when I started managing acts I've I've turned down some really big ones and it's because it just doesn't gel and it, a lot of times I've taken on artists at uh, like at smaller stages just because I really vibed with who they are. Like, Maya, you could tell, even before she was Maya Jane Coles or whatever now, yeah. I think she was a, a star. Like, she knew exactly where she was going to go. She didn't want to be famous. She wanted to be celebrated for her work. Mm. Her work was good. Yeah. But didn't want to be famous just for the sake of being famous. It didn't interest her. Yeah. And I just thought, do you know what? It's, your heart's in it in all the right places she was really ambitious she was like she w- wanted to be able to produce anyone from Bjork to Beyonce and like and like was like doing electronic music but she wasn't limited to that she just wanted to create whatever she wanted to create at the time mm. and wanted someone to work with her who would do that and um, yeah I just started talking like I was managing her and then yeah it's it's an interesting point there around refusing working with some of the bigger acts because naturally i I can't remember who said it but other than your family people say in terms of a working relationship especially in the music industry you spend more time with your manager than you probably do your own your own family or that's the next person you spend the most time with so even though that person could be really talented if you don't connect on a personal level, then there's probably going to be issues at, at some point. Oh, totally. I, I, I tried managing artists before when people have just like, oh, they're really busy and you need to manage them and you're a fool if you don't. And it just doesn't work. Like, it doesn't mm. work for me. I'm not excited about the music. It yeah. It just doesn't. Like, some people can do it and some, some people it's just a paycheck. And like... I wish I knew how to do that because I'd be a much richer man. <laughs> but, um, you have to think about your own happiness though, don't you, at the, oh, the end of the day? Mental health is like just so much more important because I've been, I've been poor and happy and like, no, I don't think by anyone's standards I would say I've been rich, but I'm definitely richer than, than how I started off in life and less happy. So because I was pretty much burning myself out. Yeah. So, like there's definitely... The, the, the big take-home is just that, like, you can't put a price on happiness. I know that's really, like... No, it's true. Spot, but it's true, it is true. No, it is, definitely, because it, it, at the minute, I mean, I'm still, well, I say stuck, I'm very grateful, all things considered, with the economic climate and the knock-on effects of COVID. I'm still in my normal bank job. 
that I've had the opportunity to go for like big promotions, but in the grand scheme of things, yeah, you might earn a significant amount more money, but if that then jeopardizes your side project, so with like with my developing artist management company and then the brand that I run with Fleur on the side, I'm not going to jeopardize that for the sake of earning more money in a job that I actually don't really like and I don't want to do for the rest of my life. And I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it countless times where people think, oh, I would like to do that outside of work. But because you end up trapping yourself in this full-time job that you actually fucking hate, it's um, your happiness is, is, the, is the biggest thing. And sometimes you might earn less money in the short term, but that short-term sacrifice is probably better off in the long run for your own happiness. You're totally right. I mean, I, I did it too much the other way where I just thought, fuck it, I'm just going to, like, leave everything. And that was not, that was not the one. Because, like, like I, I, mean, I, I, I pretty much was, like, homeless. I was, like, I didn't have a key to, like, my own house for, like, two years or something. Fucking hell. So that was, yeah, and it was a lot. And it, everyone was, like, didn't you get, like, a first-class honors degree, like, a distinction in masters and do all this shit like because i'm a qualified business psychologist as well so people are like you're absolutely insane (laughs) also because it always felt like like a part of the problem is what there was a big artist that didn't pay me which was uh, irritating because so that kind of just made it made it problematic i didn't want to borrow money from like friends or family yeah um and also i think just like I just always thought, oh, you know, it's going to be next week or the week after, because it was always just on the cusp of things. Yeah. And like, like I remember one time I worked, I worked with Beyonce on something, right? <laughs> so like this Glastonbury thing that went slightly askew. So, so I'd, I'd, I'd hung out with her during the day. How was that? Back, Sorry to interrupt you. How was that hanging out with Beyonce? <laughs> oh, she, she's, she's super lovely. She's yeah. Super lovely. Put it this way, right? We arrived in France and I looked so tired that she got up off her seat and went, oh, you need to sit, you look really knackered. Fucking hell. But like, I came back from, from, from that day and um, I slept on like my student brother's like floor. Well, like in a, he has a basement in his house and I like with a, with a fold out bed and I stayed there. So it's this weird thing of like, during the day you're hanging out with Beyonce and then during the day it's like reality bites. Yeah. So, and like literally thank God for my little brother because like A he's amazing but I he's another one who like there's quite a, a few people that I've got to thank that mm. I wouldn't be able to, to to have done the things that I would have had to move back to like home in Sunderland or something. So yeah. it's a, yeah, it was it's it's a weird one. A lot of times I think when people go and like look at everyone else and it's you know it's the the day the social media where everyone looks like they're having a great time and everyone mm. looks like they're successful it's like but you're not you seeing a snapshot of someone filtered at their best yeah of course that's that same day i definitely wasn't if i was had to post one or two photos on instagram i was going to post the beyonce one i wasn't going to post it and here i'm at the basement of my brother's house like you're not yeah like, everybody just is like oh my god like why, why can't I be doing what he's doing or whatever, or like, do, 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 do. but it's not. Mm. But they don't see the struggles along the way. I mean, I've got so much respect for the risks that you've taken there to to do that, because I, I was laughing the other day when I did some editorial work for, you know, Bradley Gunn, the sober raver. 
a couple of years ago, he invited me to Circa Loco at Printworks and I had no money, but I thought I need to go because the networking opportunities are just like a gold mine. And I remember I literally made it back by the skin of my teeth from London. I thought, fuck me, I was so close to being stranded. And and then I hear your story there and I think, you know, it's, it's not even comparable when you go from being with Beyonce to them being on the basement floor. From like Heathrow to Bethnal Green, that was a joy. Not not after a flight, I had to meet an artist who'd flown in. Yeah. And then I got the bus, and then some, some fucking big bill had come out like my phone bill, and I just realised I didn't have money for the second bus, so I just had to walk through like random industrial estates to like thing. It was there was some like really insane times where I, I went to every festival that year because I'd go and like stay in tents. So everyone was like, your life's so blessed. I'm just thinking like, literally, or I won't like sleep somewhere. So it was, it was, it was quite, it was quite crazy. But then like, it's a funny one. So like, so I, I first ever house was like a council house, you know, like violin shit. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, I was also looking, because I was smart and I was good at sport, I went to, um, I got like an assisted place and a scholarship in a really good private school. Right, okay. So, so I did have that thing of like, even though I didn't have the money, mm. I was I was in the same classes as all these people who you know like my my best friend from school's friends like dad's like buddies with a sort of Brunei. It's like, and my mom's best mate is Christine who lives in like Duxford Park. So <laughs> it's like I know what you're saying. It, it's just sort of different, but it also allowed me to kind of. Like, like I don't feel as much like sometimes I do, but like a lot of times if I'm like with people who've got real money, like I don't get as intimidated or like thing as, as I guess some people do, and it's like, and my father's side um is like got a, a Romany kind of gypsy side to it. Yeah. So like I've I've come from so many different walks of life. Mm. My my mum's mum is quite middle class, so I've like yeah yeah. I, I, I can like hang with anyone and just like if someone's a nice person a nice person they're a dickhead they're a dickhead but, it, but I did it did make us realise that there's nothing really that much different between me and that person other than like the circumstances they were born in yeah. I do think that it did allow me to kind of maybe dream on some levels mm. more than like like other people did and I don't know maybe that's maybe it's just me because lots of obviously people from school didn't go on to do that, but it was like, I, I do think it was, a, I do think it like it helped. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's actually quite strange because me and you sound like we've had similar upbringings. So like my my dad was. He wasn't well to do, but he did well for himself. Whereas my mum, no disrespect, you know, we grew up in a council house, but a lot of my mum's side of the family were like really, really successful. A lot of my mates when I was growing up went to private school, so I kind of, I mean, I'm, I've still got a long way to go, but I've always had that aspiration. When you move in certain circles, you do think, you know, I don't, I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life, and and that is in no way disrespecting anyone who lives in a council estate because some of the best people I know live in council estates compared to some of the arseholes I know that live in mansions. But um, and, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Like when people are people. And like, that's kind of the thing. It's just everyone's an intersection of so many different things. Mm. It's like, like you can be 
you can be gay and nice, you can be gay and be a prick, you can be white and nice, you can be white and prick, you can be, like, but all these different things do interplay, like, from your race, your religion, your sexuality, yeah. your weight, your, your like, perceived beauty, all these different things, so it's like, like, it, the more different types of people you're exposed to, I think the more you just realise that, like, yeah. it breaks down prejudices as, as well, like, like not even prejudices, but like stereotypes you have certain people. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Like I, I have posh mates who think that all working class people dislike them, and I have working class people who think all posh people dislike them. Yeah. And it's like if you're just all in a room. Yeah. There's a lot of people who don't give a fuck, and some people do give a yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it just I just think anything which helps you be able to like just move around and, and be social with different people. Yeah. Helps. I think actually like. Like, Sophia isn't from, like, super, super money. Maya isn't from money. Like, and, like, Wax isn't. So, so it's, I think, like, everyone's actually grafted. Mm. And I think, as well, it, like, it gives people a really good work ethic. Yeah, definitely. But you have to do well. Yeah. Interestingly, with you saying that you grew up in Sunderland, because I've got I've got family from the northeast. I've got some cousins from Newcastle, and then um, my auntie before she moved to Dubai lived in Sunderland. I'm I'm assuming. Correct me if I'm wrong, just because I know the further up north you go, it's generally it gets whiter and whiter. Where I grew up in in Shrewsbury, that was generally 99% white people. And it's probably the same in Sunderland and Newcastle, etc. as well. hundred percent. And it, I don't think that there's any surprise that like Sunderland voted for Brexit because there was, they they hadn't seen the benefits. And it, I, I'm sure I guess some people are from Sunderland saying this, but I just don't think they'd seen the benefits of migration in the same. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Even in Newcastle, because Newcastle has two universities, and. Um, therefore has a lot more international students there and just like you know has had a lot of european money in in, in regenerations comparatively to some but like i think that the just the, the more diverse the population the more likely it was it wasn't just that it was cities versus countryside yeah it was like literally the more mixed people were like london was <laughs> London's like the most amazing place I think in the world mm. and it's because of all the different nationalities yeah it's so diverse isn't it anyways yeah. definitely the, the best move I have made was when I moved to Birmingham and I was about 20 because of where I grew up which is so narrow-minded and it was so stereotypical like you say around whether you're homosexual whether you're black or mixed race or Asian and I thought to myself well this is not where I see myself long term because how were you ever supposed to grow and learn as an individual if you're only surrounded by a small clique of individuals who all have the same thoughts, they all dress the same, they all think the same? The more, especially even Birmingham compared to London, there's so many different kinds of cultures and, and people from diverse backgrounds. It opens your mind to a completely different world and, and you learn so much more when you mingle with those people as well. Oh, totally. Like, even things like, you know, Black Lives Matter and stuff, I would never have got that to the same degree had I not lived in London and met loads of different people and seen, seen how things were. So, like, I know this is off topic from, from music, but, like, if, if you're in Sunderland, 
the store detective tends to be following you around based on class. So if you're wearing a trackie or something, or looking very rogy, as it were, to them. I mean, I don't think you look rogy wearing a trackie that I'm wearing one now, but, you know, people would, because everyone's white, they subdivide on class. And then if you come to London, people subdivide on race. Yeah. Like the, the store detective. So it was interesting moving here. And then, yeah, like, it just, it completely changed my perception on quite a lot of things. So yeah, I was, I mean, when I lived in the Northeast, I was Spain. Mm. So that, that tells you the wonderful Narnia-ish world of London where I realised that actually I like ties. So it yeah. was, uh, yeah. London changes the mind. <laughs> that's, no, that's an interesting story, though. Fair play. So, just discussing a little bit more before we move on around your working relationship with Maya, because you've have you always been her manager then from day one, like the past twelve years? Yeah, well, like since she's actually had a manager. So, yeah. She she was self managing herself. Yeah. And like. Yeah. There's, just, there's just a few points that I wanted to elaborate on, especially because as someone who's an up-and-coming artist manager, and I'm sure you would agree even more she so. Did, she did have a co-manager at one point, which was Nick Hawks, and, and, um, and then that, like, who manages Prodigy, who I used to work for, and then I just ended up managing her. Yeah. And, and, and Sophia, I would call Sophia Myers, like, co-manager as well, like, nowadays, so, like... Like I may say nowadays for like the last five years or something. So, yeah. Um, it's it's just to make that clear to all the boys, girls, and non-binary yeah. people. Yeah. There, there was just a point that I wanted to elaborate on from what we were discussing earlier on, really about how much of a pioneer she is, and just cementing the point where you said she is literally one in a million in terms of being an artist and. I think what a lot of up-and-coming artists who are watching need to realise, and it's something that you will probably underpin with me as well, is, number one, she doesn't follow trends. She's a pioneer, so she... she, I mean, I think I read that she's been producing since she was about 15 years of age, so she's honed her craft for years. She doesn't give a fuck about what what else is going on at all. Yeah. I think, like, that's, that's the thing. If, if you try and make music for other people, ultimately, that person likes it, that other person doesn't like it, da, da, da. so you just get pulled from yeah. one place to the other. And like, like, I don't know, your partner likes it, but then your best friend doesn't like it, and then you start doubting yourself as to if it's good or not. And Maya makes music for her, that she has to be happy with it herself, mm. and then if she is, she probably believes it to the standard that it will find its natural audience. Mm-hmm. Like, which I think is such a healthy way to do it. Same when I used to manage Tricky, he just made music for him. Like, but that's how it should be though, shouldn't it? I think that's what a lot of up-and-coming artists are forgetting now. I mean, you've got someone who's maybe a good DJ, but they're naturally not a producer, but they know nowadays because of how saturated the music industry is. If you want to break through and be an international touring artist, it's simple you have to have your own sound so what i'm seeing now and you probably see as well for instance more the the side that i deal with is probably more like i mean they say it's minimal but it's it's probably not that's just another subgenre. but there's there's certain artists who break through then an up-and-comer will see that artist and then think i need to replicate their sound because that's what's 
that sound is what's broken them through. So if I do the same, I'll break through as well. But that is just not the right way to go about it. Because number one, you're not original. You're not your own artist as an individual. You just get seen as, oh, that, that track sounds good, but all it does is remind me of that other person. And like you say, you're not making music for you. You're just doing it to try and replicate someone else. We, we like, as well, I think one of the problems with that is, <clears throat> so say that's not really where your heart is at. You end up going down a path where your career is a career based on things that will get you from A to B the fastest mm. and not because you actually want it. And then there's a lot of people that are really unhappy and they feel boxed in a particular place that they never wanted to be in the first instance. And it's like, oh, great. Now what do I do? I go play music to enrage that like they don't really want to be playing and they become unhappy people and it's it's all back again to mental health. Like yeah, if you do your own thing, even if like five people like it, it's better, I think, arguably, mm. than having a million people where you, you live a life where you're not free. Yeah, because we've seen how that turns out. I feel like in in terms of growing your fan base as well. I mean, you look at Maya's fan base. That's international. That's I think there's probably not a continent or country in the world that doesn't know about her. And like you say, just to reiterate... It's like you find out like places you didn't know existed on the map, you know, like... Yeah. She's tuned, she's tuned about 50 countries or something, like us. <laughs> Fucking crazy, isn't it? But it's like you say there, because she it's did also, it... just may I add the nicest human you'll ever meet, but I know that you, you want to get a story out of me in the end, so we'll, we'll pack on that. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, just, just before we continue around, obviously, your, your own success, um, there's just a, a few more points with that yeah, as well, I'm because... Sure, I've got such a good ego. No, of course, but at the same time, you know, I I brought you on to, to speak about your journey and your success. I didn't want to bring you on just to discuss Maya, because otherwise I could have said, Stephen, do you mind asking Maya if she wants to come on? Uh, it's all right. Like, like you know. Again, I'd rather. I that, that I can I speak about my role there because I really respect that and love what she does. It would be harder for me to have done it when I've been like a hired hand. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So, like, I'm always gonna be synonymous with like Maya. So. Yeah. It's the worst thing to be synonymous. With <laughs> like, no, definitely. I agree. So, yeah, just one or two more points there, um, because the main reason really why I want to do these oh, podcasts... Can I just say hi to the lovely Spencer Parker and hi to the lovely Maria May? So Maria is one of the biggest agents in the world at CAA, and, like, she's taught me shitloads, just how to, how to be, and, like, how to be honest with yourself. And yeah. If I ever need... To be called in on something because she's like brains you need like think about this or whatever like murray is good people there's a lot of people who don't really care she really gives a fuck like yeah like it, yeah she's awesome i've met i've met a lot of those mate in i mean i've only been doing this for five years just trying to play my hand at different things but is spencer just signed to he she they a record Spencer's just put out a lovely EP, the Love and Sex EP, which is available now. 
Yeah. Uh, Depot, Spotify, Amazon, Tidal, and all good stuff. <laughs> um, and then another one has just come on there as well is uh, Neil Neighborhood. Oh my God, it's become this is your life. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, Neil's been my publicist for, for 12 years as well, and it's like, like, he was amazing because he's a Geordie as well. Mm. Um, so it's been just, we've got like our kind of quite tight little knit, knit group where we have got Neil for loads of things. Like, it's just nice, it's family vibes. Yeah, now that's class. But just before we do move on though, the point you were making around making music for yourself and rather than if you're replicating someone else's sound, you're going to always find yourself moving from A to B and then you've got so many artists from the younger generation that get caught in the trap of social media is there has to be this appreciation that, you know, for instance, Maya was producing since she was 15. I know that previously you worked with Taylor Buzz and um, Carmine and Matteo. They, they were producing for, for years and years and if you're really going to be at the top level of the music industry and your sound is going to be iconic and you know it's just really going to stand the test of time it takes years and there's so many artists now that literally will just bang out an edit after one month of being on ableton or logic and then be wondering oh why aren't i breaking through or why aren't i on a massive management or agency and it just doesn't happen like that you have to appreciate it takes years of deep work in the studio to really find your own sound well that's it every country thinks it's x factor and it's not yeah it's like like and also people only tend to see like the success so it's like even with like someone like peggy or nina where they got loads of shit like oh my god they're just everywhere it's like they weren't just everywhere though like mm. they had paid their dues beforehand and it was kind of like really it was really disrespectful as to like how everyone was just like, oh, they're just pretty. It's like, nah, man, like they happen to be attractive, mm. but both Peggy and Nina are like, do amazing things. And, and Nina in particular is just like punk as fuck. And I, I, I really like, I really respect how she had so many people trolling her at the start. Mm. And she just stuck to her guns and just went like, so, so yeah, I, I think it's a uh, you just got you just got to like put in the work, and it happens whenever it happens. And some people are, are lucky, and it happens earlier. Sometimes it happens later. And there's a lot of just like peaks and troughs as well, which mm. is also okay. Yeah. Like, no one's career is entirely like just stratospheric the whole time. Yeah. Like, you get to one point, and then it's like you just you'll have that one track. Or there'll be some kind of breaking point where just everything kind of the stars align, and then like you just promoters tend to just book everyone. Like, say if you've got booked the sauna on Coachella, suddenly everyone's like, oh, that person. Because also, a lot of the promoters are, are run like small businesses, and like to be fair, they they can't take too many risks. Yeah. So, like, but then once people are on that circuit, it's kind of like they're on that circuit yeah and it's not, it's not always talent based but it, it, it largely is yeah now that's class i just wanted to check as well before we continue i know one or two people have questioned my audio quality can you hear me okay i i can 
Yeah. Is it, have you moved house in like? Yeah, I'm, I moved. I moved apartment literally the other day. I, I've worked out that this is the fifteenth property I've lived in in the past twenty years. So hopefully. Same, well, obviously because of like sofa surfing everywhere, but I, I, I lived everywhere. Yeah. People are like, how have you not lived in like one house? <laughs> like my, my uh, boyfriend when I was in London, when I've been in London, I've taken him out and I said, I used to live there. It's like, how many places have you fucking lived? Like, <laughs> I know. Did you stay there for like one night in a friend's house? I was like, oh no, like six months there. Three years there. Yeah. Maybe we like to get about, mate. I think that's the thing we like to get about, don't we? Yeah, I'm 30. <laughs> uh, so, just coming off the back of Maya, I know that when we spoke a couple of months ago, you mentioned that you've managed like, other iconic artists in their own right, such as Taylor Buzz, Magda, and I understand under the collective you've got the likes of cats and dogs under the management company as well. And I had my first number one with KDA, so he should get a shout out. Oh, class. Because he was my flatmate. So I managed him to number one where he'd be one direction when it was just me and him in a flat. Yeah. It, it was very intense. <laughs> and Adele Hello knocked us off. And it was his first ever release. That's amazing. That that, that is amazing, man. So he gets, he gets in that. Oh, no, 100%. I, f- I feel bad now. That's uh, that's poor hosting on my behalf for not slotting that one in there. <laughs> uh, you don't Definitely keep my eye on that, then, because I, I think your track record's pretty proven, mate. So I might, I might go down to the bookies and have twenty quid on that. <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt that Wax Wings will be massive soon. Cyrena will be like, and it's Cyrena's already on this curve. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, now I have been watching Cyrena. I've been keeping an eye on her. To be fair, she's she's like painfully like lovely. Like <laughs> like I meet her and I'm like. There's never been a day in my life where I'm actually as nice as you. Like, <laughs> I could be putting money into a charity box, and she could be, like, I don't know, kicking a puppy, and she'd still end up being nicer than me. There's just something about her where she's just a lovely human. Like, it's great. Like, I'm really blessed with our roster at the moment. Like, I just get on with everybody. Like, yeah. Like, not that it's, like, been particularly fractious before, but it's just, like, like, Sometimes I've managed people where, like, if the phone rings, you're like, oh, God, it's going to be, and I'm going to get told off or whatever. Just everyone's lovely. Like, Louise is lovely. Like, yeah, Robert um, Owens messages every time with, like, like grateful at the end or thank you. And it's just like, he's like an icon of mine. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's good times right now. Yeah, anyway, that's... Sorry. That's good, mate. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good, mate. To be honest, everyone I speak to, like whether it's a manager who's had a, a interesting journey in the music industry, I get halfway through a question and because there's just so much that's gone on, 
they just go off on a tangent. But it's a nice tangent because I'm I'm learning as well. But no, with the artists that you've worked with over the years, I'm, I'm, I know that we've probably just mentioned a couple of points there around aspiring and up and coming artists that want to break through and operate at the highest levels of the industry. I know that probably every artist manager is different in terms of what they look at, what they would rather work with, what they see they can develop. But what do you look for as an artist manager and what do you feel is required from an artist to operate at that level? I just like, honestly, I've met people like Maya was through a phone call and hearing some tracks. Waxwings, I met him outside a bar because my friend was like, you should meet this guy, he's really interesting and talked for like an hour and then I was like I was intrigued by them and then I wanted to hear the music and a lot of times like for me it's because because I think you need that like little bit of sparkle as well for the type of acts that I manage mm. so like I the famous one is I got offered Ed Sheeran a couple of times by Ed when he was at matching company and I said no because I didn't think that he was a star but like, <laughs> but in a nice way, in that like, so Ed's manager is really good, really, really good. And Ed is really good. And like, obviously Ed didn't have all the writing teams and everyone that was around him that he did now. But, but like, I wouldn't have been able to make him a star because I didn't believe he was a star. Mm. There'd have been other people who wouldn't have been able to help Maya become a star in the same way because they didn't get who she was properly. Like, yeah, I think like, it's like, I won't be the best manager for everyone. And some people I'll be an amazing manager for. Mm. And it's just, it's finding that out. It's, it's, it's the same thing as like dating. Some people you'd be an amazing boyfriend for. Some people you'd be awful for. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that they've been a great, great partner for someone else or you have for someone else. It's just like, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't, doesn't mesh or like you know some people are great doctors i'd be a shit doctor i'd be squeamish as fuck like it doesn't mean that i couldn't maybe learn it from a textbook mm. but i wouldn't be i wouldn't be good at it so it's like it's so hard to say you just got to go and like shop around and meet different people and, and like see who who gets you and and who you get and who you trust because it's i learned just to go on my gut more than anything like, yeah trust my ears and trust my gut and like Sometimes it takes longer for the people to get there, but like, I don't know. I, I think if you if you buy a ticket to see someone or or buy their record, then there's a good chance that someone else would. If you like, you think that there might be something in it, but you don't really see it yourself. Yeah. You don't know how to sell that ticket to someone because you wouldn't buy one yourself, so it's just it doesn't. Mm. I don't think it works. What about in terms of the artist then? Because there's thousands upon thousands of artists now who, especially once again, coming back to the point of social media. Do you want to ask, uh, answer question? Yeah, yeah, of course. I was actually just coming on to the last part of the question. I, I was going to ask you that, to be fair, about what she just said, about would you say management is necessary? But by all means, yeah. I'll, let the la- I'll let the lady ask the question first. It, it depends, to be honest. Like... Having a good manager, it's good to have on at any time. Having a bad manager is bad to have on at any time. Mm. Like, I think 
the good thing about say Maya or Louisa or something like that is like they've got a vision of who they are and they're comfortable in who they are because like I'm not interested in going like here's someone really plain and if we do this we could throw these claws on you and make you a star like I like people where I get them and I can fuck with them and I'm like alright I get you so how do I underpin what you're doing and enhance what you're doing so like I don't create stars I just like I help them achieve who they can be yeah you kind of you you know them well enough where you can bring the vision to life without forcing anything that is not natural it's not comfortable totally because like what's right for Maya isn't right for louise it isn't right for wax is right for tricky like exactly yeah so like the, the most important thing i do i think is give people confidence and i fight their corner and i make sure they don't get fucked over and I also make sure that, like, like in each situation, someone's always going to want their piece of flesh from you. Mm. And I just find the happy medium where the artist is happy and the other people are satisfied. Yeah. Like, and no one feels that they've got, like, too bloody a nose. And, like, I'm there to say no when it's a no and make sure that's fine. And I kind of, like, just protect some of the noise so the artist can focus on art. Yeah. But at the same time, knowing that their their voices being heard in discussions because, like, like, pardon me, for, for Maya, there were times where she could have she could have taken a, a much faster route to get places, but she just didn't want to work with that particular artist or mm. support that particular artist or whatever. So sometimes in a room of people saying you're crazy for not doing, you have to be there and go like I believe it. So like for instance, Maya got offered a, a deal with Virgin. It was for five hundred grand. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it was a three sixty deal. Ultimately, like she probably made more money now from without the deal than she would have if she'd been in it. Mm. But that was that was like literally a point where neither of us had money, and it was like oh fuck, I could have oh there's my deposit on the house gone like. But, I believed in her, and like, there's a lot of managers that would have gone like, "You're insane!" Like, yeah. I think they get paid. You need money. Let's do it. Yeah. It wouldn't have been the right deal. Mm. And we talked about the pros and cons of it and stuff. And I think like, Maya's definitely happy that she got the big offer. Mm. But then you know we did that thing in the '80s film where you just go, "No, I'm getting out." You know, Devil's Wear Prada. I'm getting out of the car. I want to be nice and I want to follow my path because they would have made a singles with people she didn't want to and try and bosh them out and like if it connected it connected and if not that started yeah so um so yeah she's been really ballsy in her decision making but like i think that's that's what i i do and so, some people like some artists that i've a and r them a lot more because they, they want it like and some people but they still they still need to have a, a basic thing there i wouldn't like Today I've decided that you're going to make a house tune. It's not like that. Mm. Like, oh, you need and never like you said, never like you need to make something that sounds like this. Like never. No, no, no. It's just like oh, that beat's cool. Oh, okay. Well, have you thought about putting this person on a beat, or have you thought about remixing this person? That's like level of A and R, or just give my honest opinion. I like that, or I don't like that, or like. But some people, some people need that. Some people need help in. Just, I mean, I'm going around the houses on it, but like, 
I think everyone's different. If you don't, if you don't mind me adding, I mean, I've only been doing it for two years and I've got no proven track record. But the first artist I took on was um, Fleur Shaw, and in the next couple of years, I've got every you know full confidence that she she will be massive in her own right. But like you say, sometimes you have that gut feeling where a manager. The way that I've always worked, to be honest, I've always approached the artist. I know that sometimes an artist can approach management, but I think naturally, every case is different. Some artists will think they need management soon, but actually they don't because, you know, maybe they're just not even ready as as a DJ or producer. They actually need to focus on themselves and making sure the music is ready, first of all, before management is even considered. But like you said, you came across her in the very early stages of her career and you probably saw something that maybe other people didn't and you connected and you thought, okay, this isn't going to happen immediately. It might take a couple of years. Sometimes it naturally, it just, it just comes together. But the point about management is don't feel like you have to rush into management. Um, especially because like we were saying earlier on, because you spend so much time, you know, together between artist and manager, you need to make sure you're picking the right manager or management company. Yeah, and man- managers can only do so much. I mean, like Maya, Maya would have been successful regardless of if, if if it was me or someone else, because I think she just has it in her. So, like, you know, there, there is something to be said. Like, I don't think that I think managers can help. I don't think they can conjure something out of nothing. Yeah, of course. Everything will eventually reach its own kind of ceiling, and talent will also get heard at some point unless you've had a really horrible manager like when I managed Nadine her ex-manager made her like want to leave the music industry so like like you know there's there's some things you can do but like Maya made what they say and it opened a whole bunch of doors Mm -hmm. so like you know what I mean it wasn't and also Maya opened a lot of doors for herself so I think a big mistake is that people think I've got a manager I don't have to work it's like no you, you do yeah, of course. If you give a fuck about your dream, you always have to work. Yeah. I'm yeah. just going to tell my partner that we are going to go to go and get medicine in like 15 minutes. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm going to be finished with the interview in like 10 minutes. Like, <laughs> sorry, just, just also life happens. <laughs> so the, the next point I wanted to move on to was the he, she, they brand because I've been following it on socials for a while and I love the agenda and the messages that you push, not just through the parties, but trying to educate people through social media as well, whether that's about race or, you know, people's sexuality. So especially with the fact that even in 2020, there's still sadly a significant amount of like racism, sexism, homophobia that still exists. What, what are your main passions uh, around the like, things you've either achieved with with the brand and the parties, and that you're still hoping to achieve as well. I think like it's all a process. I mean, like we learn ourselves all the time because like like I wasn't I wasn't born like fucking super on it and super woke. I, I grew up in a in an estate in London. Like so, there's so much stuff that I learn all the time, and I think like it's great that. Our community allows people to make mistakes as long as they like learn from it. Like, you know what I mean? Because it's like say something like like um, trans or being non-binary. 
that isn't like every gay man or lesbian understands that. So just because you're part of LGBTQ, IA plus, that doesn't mean that you're born with all the knowledge of that or like, or the, just the different intersections of people. So like, it's been really, it's been really nice to show, I think a lot of the big clubs around the world that like, they can also be diverse and it's A, not very difficult mm. to be diverse and just pick talented people who happen to not all be straight white and male. Yeah. And like, and put them on a lineup and it works crazily. <clears throat> the B, that we get hit with the audiences tend to be straight white men and, and it's like, but the audiences are straight white men because if you go to a club and there's three straight, straight white guys behind the decks, and you're like a black um, gay woman. And you're like, well, why is this necessarily a place for me to thrive? And same yeah. actually in gay clubs, it's often like three gay men DJing. And if you're a, a lesbian, you can, in that environment, you're like, well, where's the buy in for me? So yeah. it's not just in, in like straight clubs, as it were, it's in queer spaces as well. But like, <clears throat> if, you, if you have just, DJs from different kind of places and intersections, the more different people think that that club is a space for them and we have dancers that are from different backgrounds. So like when someone looks up on a dance floor, he she there, they can probably see someone who's black or trans, Asian, white, female, male, non-binary, thin, bigger body, like different ableness, like all these different things. So they can always feel like, oh, I'm not in a club that isn't for me. Mm. <clears throat> so that's really like been amazing. And because that happens, the audience changes. Yeah. So the audience isn't just like this cock heavy kind of like um, straight white man fest. And I, 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 I was a straight white man so I, <laughs> against them. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's important as well. Like we have straight white man DJ first release on the label as well. So it's not like, and we don't need to exclude another group to include another group. Um, yeah. And it's just like, I just think as a, as a queer guy, and Sophia Runner as a woman, we just saw a lot of things that like, were just a bit weird. And like, it's funny, just, just like, it, like for instance, we put on My Jane Calls and Honey Dijon for an event. And people are like, oh, like, not sure about having gay dancers and stuff. It's like, You've got a, a black trans woman and a Japanese mixed race, like yeah, <laughs> like, British, Japanese, like um, it's been like no one is no one is not buying a ticket because they don't like diversity here. It's fine. So it's it's, it's funny because those people just become like opportunities oh, and admire like some people just forget that like they're people too. Yeah, like, yeah. Like or because they're just superstar DJs. It's like. If you have that mix of different people at all levels as well, like, like you know, if if you're getting Patrick Tupman who plays, he's a big ticket seller. You can have a more diverse undercard. Mm-hmm. Like, it can it can be in different ways. And um, yeah, it, we're in twelve countries now. We should have been in twenty if it wasn't for Corona. So it's, I think it's been nice. And we're not the only club night that does it either. Like, and we learn from like this nights like Pussy Palace and stuff and and Babes in London that we we've learned like best practices from and stuff yeah like we go to like fetish nights and stuff like torture garden and like they have a really good code of conduct and you're more you're less likely to get your ass grabbed as a woman by some like random guy yeah yeah than you are in in, like 
tiger tiger or some shit so like yeah i th- i think that we're like a hodgepodge of loads of years of experience but it's been it's been like amazing and like this year billboard put me in that like their top 40 um like queer queer people thing um queer list so i was one of three non-americans to get there so it's been it's been amazing to see like it kind of recognized yeah seeing like some clubs that have really like championed it like andy and judy fabric uli watergate has helped so much mm-hmm. have helped a lot like um carl loban at dj mag was in the proper back for us like yeah it, it, there's certain pockets of people who like it's it's interesting when you do because you like dennis's ministry like you find people who really like believe in what they change stuff and well, it needs to happen at the end of the day. Um, like the, because, like I say, that sadly, there's still so much of it that goes on within society. You need parties like he, she, they and, and clubs to to make people who might not feel comfortable in certain environments feel included and safe and like they can go out and party the, the, the same as everybody else. I mean, even though... Which is weird because that was the whole fucking point of the movement in the first <laughs> It's not like we haven't like reinvented the wheel. We just gone back to the fucking blueprints for the wheel. I oh, know. I just gone like, can you remember when like the whole point was that you were like black or Latinx and queer and it was a safe space for women and like. Oh no. Yeah, should we do that again? Like, because it's it's just funny when I used to go to clubs like uh, Manly Mission or stuff or like that was just way more eclectic on the dance floor or like. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's it's funny. So so a lot of it is just, just going back. Now it's been nice having the label and stuff, and being able to showcase all different people's talents and mm-hmm. people who believe in it, and just yeah. I definitely need to get down, mate. When uh, when COVID's finished, I definitely need to to come down and have a party with you. As it sounds sounds proper. You do. You can put you can put a jock strap on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just for you, Stephen. Just for you, mate. Oh, uh, there you go. But that, that's also another thing. Like with the fashion line that we're launching, that it's like, like that isn't like you can you can go like Joe said, you can go wearing fucking like with your bum out, but you can also just wear a t-shirt and jeans. We felt there's too many places that are too prescriptive and just mm. allowing people to be themselves. Like, like I'm a gay guy that wears tracksuits. Not every gay guy is super fabulous. Like, yeah, you know, like. Like it's a, it's a whole mix of things, and I like I didn't like it in some queer clubs where I used to get told that I I don't I don't like dress gay, or like or people tap me on the shoulder going you know it's a gay club I'm like yeah I do, <laughs> like I've done loads of blowjobs like I'm allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just it's it's just weird thing. So I think we, it's really important for us to like knock down barriers and, yeah of course and, and it's been fun like we've got this amazing family and stuff and like we've been able to ally on stuff that like you know we, we support a lot of trans causes even though we're not like I'm not personally trans but I can see that 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 community needs help and that community is, is also therefore has given us a lot of love back and yeah. we have like Alexis and Lucia and Glam and stuff who are all trans who dance for us ties non-binary it's it's really like and, and like so more besides which it's 
it's a it's a genuine family because it's done out of love where they give stuff back so it's, it's been great i'm just a little bit conscious of time for it no no it's all good there's just one more final question because i am um conscious as well of of your health considering how nice you've been coming on so i think with everything going on at the moment and there's just so much unfortunately negativity whether it's social media or just society in general I came across the post you put up um, wishing Maya a happy birthday. So I feel like to put a smile on people's faces, you, you need to tell that story about the 20 quid. Okay. So <clears throat> when I was younger uh, in the music industry and I didn't have any money and neither did Maya, um, literally, literally had like 20 quid that we had to split on like fucking... So I could eat and she could eat. And uh, I lent her 20 quid. And we both got kind of, like, it's like she was just really appreciative and it was really sweet. So roll on a few years. And you've got to appreciate that managers earn 20% net of what an artist earns. So if an artist is, like, say for me to earn 20 grand, an artist would have to be earning 100 grand in profit. Right? So there's people I think forget that there's like a big discrepancy. So anyway. So Maya's Maya's doing well and like and I'm kind of coming up there. And uh we're in LA and this is all seeming like fairy tale like anyway from where we are from our journey. It's like really sweet. And uh I put on this coat and I sadly don't have it in my room right now, otherwise I I I'd show the coat. But um, it's a really fucking nice coat and I felt like you know, it sounds stupid, but like I fucking, I felt like a Disney prince or princess in this like outfit. I was like, I look amazing, and I knew I looked good. And like, I was just like, oh, I feel like a proper manager. And it was like, and I live in trackies, so like this, but this was like a well tailored coat. And I was just like, you know, it's this coat or it's a sofa. And right, okay, it's better to have like a sofa where I guess sit on it. So my money went to the DFS sale instead of. Uh, instead of the coat. So Maya must have been like paying attention to us. Cause I hadn't I hadn't mentioned the coat again. I didn't like I didn't say shit about it. She was there in the store with that girlfriend at the time. And like she must have spied us in it anyway. <clears throat> so when I lay girlfriend goes and, and we, we end up going on another like four or five different cities and then we end up in Mexico. And uh, it's my birthday. And uh, Maya and I have birthdays next to each other, so we always like, pretty much celebrate um, around the same time and stuff. So she calls me and says, oh, do you want to come to the room? And I was like, hey, we'll have like a little nightcap or something, that'd be really sweet. And um, she just pulls out this bag from this store that I really love called Opening Ceremony. And uh, I'm like, oh, what did you get? It's just thinking like, oh, she's bought us something in the shop. And then I was like, oh, I really wanted that coat in my head. And then, I opened it and it was the fucking coat and I was just like, it's a fucking heavy coat as well. Yeah. And like, like how the fuck Maya managed to carry that in a like <laughs> in a suitcase like thousands of miles the whole time, and it was just like, and she put on and she she says oh like Joe like Joe and me she's like oh that's for the twenty quid limit, and I just I gloved and I I I don't think I cried anything other than like my nan's funeral. I'm not a I'm not a crier. Yeah. And like, not that it's not right to cry. I'm just, I just, I'm dead inside. 
so like anyway, I just burst out in tears. She's like, "This is the most expensive thing anyone's ever got me," and and the feeling of it, and like I just like the fact that she remembered that moment that was really poignant, like all the years on, and like. You know, she she's at this point has been like covered loads of magazines and first album has been viewed as a big success and done DJ kicks and I mean she's probably been front cover of twenty magazines at this point. It was like, oh shit, you still remembered Maya and Stephen and not like Maya Jane Coles and Stephen Bryant. Do you know what I mean? It was like it's just this really tender moment. In fact, in all the time in our entire career together, we've had one argument, and that was in New York, when we were both very, 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 very tired. Like, and, and like, I think I'd, to anyone else, it wouldn't even have seen like a disagreement. Like, I rallied worse than that with my boyfriend on like the daily, like, that uh, was fuck off. But in terms of her and I, that was like cataclysmic. So then I came back in the uh, room in New York and then I cried and we made up the book. So she <laughs> out me a few times, but like, I just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But actually, I don't think she cried, I think it was just me. <laughs> but like, like, you know, it hooked up. It's just, it just, it, it just, it just worked. I mean, also like, you've got to remember when I was managing her, it was like the time I came out and all these things. Yeah. She helped me through that. Like, it's a... Uh, it's not just a business relationship, it's a friendship, isn't it? Well, yeah, but also when we first started going around gigs, it was like, oh, cool, there's going to be all these gay people on the international scene. It's like, God, it's not. Where's the, the gay promoters? Or where's the... Where's, like, my, my old tell you, like, there was no one who was, like, like really, like, a queer female producer. There's not any female producer when she was starting, let alone queer ones, let alone, like, intersectionally, like, like, you know, white Asian mix, like, either. So it was like, it was interesting for her and I, because there wasn't, there weren't loads of people that were like us, so we were kind of had to be our own little, our own little security thing. And then people were as well, like, you forget when Maya came up, there hadn't been, like, a really big female artist come through for quite a long time. Mm. Like, I don't know who was before her, who was massive, like Heidi. Yeah, yeah. Like, an eight-year gap. Mm. Now there's like it, it's kind of it, it's thankfully realigned, but like yeah, it was a weird. But anyway, that's a lovely story. My is lovely. Yeah. Um, you're lovely, Callum. <laughs> who's watched is lovely, and uh, the person who has prescribed me my antibiotics is awesome. Lovely. <laughs> no, I really appreciate your time, mate. I'm sure we'll we'll hopefully do another one sometime. But um, no, you know, really appreciate it and. You should be proud of yourself as well, considering where you've uh, where you've come from to where you're at now, and I hope to meet you soon properly, mate. Well, same with you, big lad. You're not you're not far behind. It's, it's always annoying because you'll probably eclipse me. <laughs> like you'll go and chop my head off like Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, mate. Take care and get better I'll soon. Be Darth Vader as well. <laughs> See you later. Take care. Big love, son. Peace. Bye. Bye, mate.